You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hello and welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of the 90 Min Football Network. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simu, and this is the very first edition of our press review show. We're going to be bringing this to you every weekday morning going forward. It will normally be uh, coming out at 10 a.m. Uh, sometimes it will be live if I'm in the studio, if I'm around other times it will be recorded way earlier before I have to dash off to whatever work I've got going on, in which case it will come uh, live on the channel or be published on the channel, I should say, at 10 a.m. So new feature uh, for you guys to look forward to. Uh, there'll normally be around 10, 15 minute videos, but when we do get to do them live, of course, it gives us the opportunity to extend that out and, of course, to spend a little bit more time uh, chatting with you guys, interacting with you guys in the live comments as well. So very much looking forward to getting this started. It's something I've wanted to do for a few weeks now. And I thought given it's the international breaks, the perfect opportunity really when I'm not as busy uh, to be able to kind of try out, roll out the format and then get feedback from you guys as well. We're still going to keep up with all the other shows that we do, the Chronicles of Aguna, the main podcast, and of course, the Chronicles of Aguna Extra. None of that is going to change. This is going to be an additional piece of content for you guys to consume uh, at your leisure. Uh, let's say a few hellos because there's plenty of you in the chat box at the moment. Big hello to Peeny Ween. Uh, Daniel is in there, as is the modern Guna. El Yar. Uh, big hello to Creambone, uh, Abdulaziz, Nikomo, Brad, uh, Anwesh is here too, as is Harvey. Hope you guys are all well. Um, yeah, a bit of a funny one today because I want to talk about what's going around in the press. I want to talk about some of the stories that are being printed and published um, in, in Europe's media at the moment with regards to, of course, the sport that we all love and adore. I also want to focus, though, on some of the fallout from Italy's failure to qualify for their second consecutive World Cup. Now, for a nation of Italy's football heritage, that is nothing short of a disaster. It's a catastrophe. And you'll see a little bit later on in the programme that the Italian media have taken it very much like that as well. So we're going to be looking at that as well as looking at some of the other stories doing the rounds. Just a quick reminder before we get very deep into the show, uh, please do hit the like button if you haven't done so already. Make sure you're subscribed to the channel if you're new as well. Uh, that really, really helps. And uh, if you are an audio listener and you are specifically an Apple Podcasts listener, if you could please leave us a review, that would be amazing because we're a bit shy of where we need to be in terms of the number of reviews uh, in comparison to kind of the listens we do. It's just not really marrying up at the moment. So we need more reviews um, and I'd love to hear from you guys. Also, I want to know your thoughts on this press review show. Is it something that you want? Is it something that you're going to enjoy? Is it something that you think is worthwhile? Let me know in the comments section after, of course, uh, the video uh, and live stream and podcast is done. OK, uh, Johnny Kryptonite says wearing Italian blue in commiserations, I see. <laughs> you could put it like that. Uh, you could put it like that, I guess. Uh, OK, let's um, let's dive into our first 
lot of stories. And we're going to focus, uh, of course, firstly, on some of the transfer stuff, because that is what seems to lead the way whenever there's an international break. So some of the big stories doing the rounds today from in particular, some of the British papers, uh, Barcelona have joined Liverpool, Manchester City and Bayern Munich in the race to sign Leeds's Brazilian winger Rafinha, who's 25 years old and valued apparently at, uh, at 60 million, I beg your pardon, by Leeds United. That's according to the mirror. We will come on to the Arsenal stories in a bit. I want to spend a bit more time on them. So I just want to quickly rush through or or brush through what else is being said. Uh, apparently, Barcelona have joined uh, rivals Real Madrid in the race to sign Kylian Mbappe. Barcelona, Real Madrid, both of them reportedly have their attentions on Kylian Mbappe. Does that mean that Erling Haaland is up for grabs or is he as some people are reporting, on his way to Manchester City. Uh, Barcelona also reportedly interested in Bayern Munich striker and the Polish international captain Robert Lewandowski. That comes from Sport in Spain. Uh, 90 men are reporting that Liverpool striker Divock Origi is in talks with both Serie A rivals AC Milan and Inter Milan over a potential free transfer in the summer. According to The Sun, Manchester City are among a number of Premier League clubs monitoring Crystal Palace left-back Tyrick Mitchell, 22-year-old, recently called up to the England squad for the first time. And we know that Manchester City traditionally have a bit of an issue at left-back, don't they? I know Cancelo goes out there and does the job quite often, but they've signed a number of left-backs during Pep Guardiola's time and it's never really, uh, really worked out for them. Uh, so that could be an interesting one to keep your eye on. Uh, Paris Saint-Germain, Real Madrid, Barcelona and Chelsea are all looking at Riyad Mahrez, who is now 31 years old. That's according to Foot Mercato in France. Uh, the Mirror say that Roma would not sell English striker Tammy Abraham for less than £100 million this summer, with Manchester United and Arsenal both believed to be interested. That's according to the Mirror. We discussed it a little bit the other day as to whether or not um, Tammy Abraham would be the right guy or, or would be an option for Arsenal. And I said that I didn't think we'd be able to take him away uh, from Roma, given sort of they've just signed him and given, uh, you know, how much he seems to be loving life there. But if they're going to go and slap a hundred million pound price tag on him, then I'd definitely steer clear of that. Uh, West Ham's England midfielder Declan Rice would still prefer a move to Chelsea rather than Manchester United. That's according to the Evening Standard. Uh, Chelsea defender Marcus Alonso says he would love to play in La Liga again. Spaniard made just one appearance for Real Madrid after coming through their youth system. That's according to uh, AS in Spain. And what's always interesting, because we get like a lot of these transfer rumours pop up during the um, during the international break. And, and my first kind of reaction is, well, there's not all that much going on in the world of football at the moment in terms of club stuff. And so it feels like outlets are trying to fill time and are trying to generate clicks even during what's normally a difficult time uh, by coming up with these transfer rumours. But actually a lot of this stuff, um, although a lot of it is hot air, I'm not denying that, a lot of it comes from the interviews that these players go and give when they go and report for international duty, we often see players so much more open and so much more forthright in their opinions and in their views when speaking to the media of their own nation uh, and media outlets in their home country than they are when they speak to the British media. I always think, and I've said this before, that there's a distrust between sports people and the British media for good reason. You know, we've given them a reason to feel like that. Um, 
you know, media in other countries, in particular Italy, I do a lot of work around Italian football, so I can speak on this. I think they're quite dramatic in some of the conclusions they draw, but I think they've got a lot more. What's the word? I don't think that they damaged or or, or they really kind of pushed the boundaries on the relationships with the players um, as much as we do in England. Like, I feel like we give them no privacy. I feel like we're always waiting to catch them out in some way, shape or form. And while there will be criticism, like there has been, for example, of Chiro Immobile after Italy's exit yesterday um, from the World Cup, I don't, I don't feel like media in other countries as a general rule um, are, are as are as intrusive in the way that they go after people. I think that they'll go after people for football reasons, absolutely. But I think in England, there's kind of this disconnect between the media and the players because so much bad shit has happened and come to light in, in years gone by that people are almost fearful of opening up. People are almost fearful of giving them the access that they want. Um, and and so, you know, it's uh, it's a difficult kind of space to navigate but as i say going back to my original point a lot of these stories uh, particularly when you get qu kind of quote marks in them and you get uh, bits that have been pulled out of interviews and when journalists are reading between the lines in interviews to try and come up with stories a lot of that is because as i say i feel like players when they do go on international duty and they go back to um you know uh, their home nations where they feel like they'll probably get a bit better treatment, they do seem to be more open and they do seem to be more um, more kind of uh, relaxed and chilled in the way that they speak. Sam Tonks uh, says the English media can be toxic. Spanish media are next. Stuff they said about Bale is grim. Completely agree. But this is the point, Sam. I, I don't want to call it racism because I don't think it's as far as that. But what I'm saying is I think that they go after... For example, had this been Gerard Piquet in Gareth Bale's position, I know it can't be because he's Spanish, but where, you know, he was just being seen as kind of getting a bit of a free ride at Real Madrid, but then turning it on when he feels like there wouldn't be, um, there wouldn't be the same kind of witch hunt that there is against Gareth Bale. We'll come on to talk about Gareth Bale in a bit because he's doing bits for Wales again, um, you know, dragging them through last night. Uh, it's brilliant. But you're right. That, look, when I say that, generally speaking, I think the media in other countries are much more um, sort of in line with their players and a lot more kind of or, or they have better relationships with their players, I guess is the right way to put it. It's a general kind of comment. I know that there will be uh, anomalies in that and I know there will be examples of bad media everywhere. Um, you know, we've got it here. And as you, you rightly point out, Sam, we see it in um we see it in Spain uh, when they go after certain players as well. GB says there's a particular voyeurism in a media industry that feeds it in the UK and US that doesn't exist anywhere else. Um, yeah, really, really interesting point that. If we go back to some of these stories and we just uh, smash through the uh, remaining ones before we focus on the Arsenal-related ones, uh, Chelsea captain Cesar Azpilicueta is torn between signing a new one-year contract with the Blues or accepting a one-year offer from Barcelona. That's according to the Express. Uh, Germany international Antonio Rudiger, 29 years old, could be the third Chelsea defender to leave Stamford Bridge as he's out of contract in the summer. And according to Sky Sports, has been offered a deal by Juventus. That would be a cracking signing for Juventus. It really would be. Blackburn and Chile striker Ben Brereton-Diaz is attracting interest from Sevilla. 
to fill the La Liga side's number nine role. That's according to Estadio Deportivo. West Ham could make another move for Benfica and Uruguay striker Darwin Nunez after having a club record £50 million bid for the 22-year-old rejected in January. Hands off. He's as. Uh, Darwin Nunez is somebody that Arsenal have been heavily linked with. And look, let's be honest. If Arsenal continue on their current trajectory, if Arsenal can sneak into the Champions League, given the prestige and the size of the club, in comparison to West Ham United, who, with all due respect, are doing brilliantly at the moment, but they're not Arsenal, you would feel that if we can match them financially, which I'm sure we can, we would be in a position uh, to bring Darwin Nunez to the Emirates Stadium. So I'm not massively worried about this. Would Darwin Nunez see West Ham as an attractive proposition if they don't make the Champions League? Probably not. Arsenal, I think you could still see Arsenal as an attractive proposition, even if they were in the Europa League, just because the club is bigger, the potential is bigger, the ceiling is higher, in my personal opinion. So I'm not too stressed or too worried about Darwin Nunez being linked with West Ham United. Uh, also, Leeds are interested in signing Ryan Kent from Rangers. Uh, the 25-year-old has a £20 million release clause. That's according to Football Insider. Benfica and Sporting Lisbon are considering a move for Barcelona winger Francisco Trincao, currently playing his football on loan at Wolverhampton Wanderers. Um, Wolves have an opportunity to sign him, apparently, on a permanent deal for £25 million, according to Record in Portugal. But Benfica and Sporting Lisbon are both circling the player. And, of course, Barcelona Spanish midfield sensation Xavi uh, and Uruguay defender Ronald Araujo have rejected new contract offers from the club. Now, there is a story doing the rounds with regards to Arsenal and Ronald Araujo, which we'll talk about on the full-length podcast uh, the next full length podcast, because I want to do a little bit of a dive into him and I want to get a little bit deeper into Ronald Araujo. He's not a player I know a massive amount about, obviously scored in the Clasico last week, a game that I watched. But outside of that, he's not somebody that I'm um, very, very clued up on. So I'd like to do a bit of research and I'd like to bring you guys a show in which uh, we look at whether Ronald Araujo would be a good addition to the Arsenal backline. So we're going to just park that. Uh, just momentarily. Uh, so going back to the Arsenal stories, which I purposely skipped over to keep you guys here. Uh, the first one is that Arsenal, Manchester United and Newcastle are all interested in signing the 22-year-old French winger Moussa Diaby from Bayer Leverkusen. Now that comes from Sport One and in particular, a journalist called Patrick Berger. No, not the Patrick Berger that used to play for Liverpool and Portsmouth. Uh, this is the journalist, Patrick Berger. But let's... um. Have a quick look at what um, at what football.london, who have taken this story from Sport One and put it into English for us very kindly, uh, are saying. Uh, it says that Arsenal have an interest in Moussa Diaby and that the player himself is thinking about his next move, although he remains focused on the current season at hand. Really? I mean, if you're thinking about it, you can't be fully focused, right? Uh, the 22-year-old is currently playing for Bayer Leverkusen, impressing in the Bundesliga as another one of their young talents. Now, apparently he can play on both the left and the right and has featured in nearly every league game this season. In 25 Bundesliga appearances, he scored 12 goals, assisting seven times with a goal involvement rate of one every 118 minutes. It ranks him as one of the best in Europe in that department, naturally drawing interest from a number of clubs. And according to Patrick Berger of Sport One, Manchester United, Newcastle and Arsenal are all eyeing a potential move. Now, Diaby, 
apparently, according to the report, has no release clause. And his co current contract runs until 2025. But Bayer Leverkusen would be willing to let him go for 60 million euros, which is about 50 million pounds. It could prove a smart piece of business, say Football London, if the winger can replicate his success from Germany to England, as well as continuing to grow towards his peak. And of course, Arsenal are in the business of signing players of that kind of age profile um, who have that potential to go on and develop uh, and, and be you know, great players in the future. Uh, he did recently speak to Le Parisien, uh, a French media outlet, when which he said when he was asked about his uh, his future, he said, obviously, I'm thinking about it, but not too much yet. I remain focused on the end of the season. And that for now is my only uh, concern. Is signing a winger a priority for Arsenal at the moment? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Look, I think we probably need another one. Um, if you don't see Nicolas Pepe's long-term future at the club, then we probably do need another one. Remember, if we do get into the Champions League, if we get into the Europa League even, we're going to need much greater depth than we currently have. I think it's important that we don't add players who are not good enough uh, just because we're looking for that depth. But depth and quality depth is is done over, is added, is built, is created over time. And I think it's important that Arsenal... Uh, you know, make sure that they make the right signings. Would Diaby fit into that bracket? Yeah, um, based on what we're reading. I did commentate on a Bayer Leverkusen game earlier this season. It was their winner over Celtic um, at the Bayer Arena. And and I thought, actually, Diaby looked quite bright and quite lively. Uh, but again, as I always say, I'm not going to pretend that I'm an expert on a player before I've done the research, before uh, I've looked into him. So, if this continues uh, to be a story, if this continues to be coming up uh, day after day in the papers, uh, in the media, then we will do a deep dive on Moussa Diaby and we'll get somebody with the uh, Bundesliga expertise that I simply don't have to come on and uh, and help us out and join us. Uh, there's a couple of people that come to mind already that I think would be great uh, for the job. So uh, Moussa Diaby being linked with a move to Arsenal, yay or nay? Let me know in the chat. Would you like to see him arrive at the club? And the other Arsenal-related story that is uh, doing the rounds in the British papers today is that Arsenal and Tottenham would need to pay £20 million to sign 21-year-old Middlesbrough fullback Jed Spence, who's impressing on loan at Nottingham Forest. Well, Gabriel Martinelli said he was one of the most difficult players he's played against. Physically, he is incredible. But this whole Jed Spence at Nottingham Forest thing, it's been a bit weird to me because, as I said to you guys before, after Arsenal played Nottingham Forest and they dumped us out of the FA Cup, and we were kind of licking our wounds and we were trying to think like, what kind of silver lining can we take away from this? Can we can we get Jed Spence? Was this the game that we realised that Jed Spence, sorry, I'm just laughing at Peeny Weed's comment, which I can't read out. Um, but, you know, we, we look, we came away from that game. We were obviously disappointed. We were obviously upset that we'd been knocked out of the FA Cup. And I think what, what a lot of Arsenal fans tried to do to console themselves was to go, well, at least we've seen a player that we could potentially sign and who could come in and really uh, take us up to the next level um, in terms of a backup and a support to Takahiro Tomiyasu. He could even go on and be better than Takahiro Tomiyasu. He's young, he's strong, he's quick. He's got all, I think, uh, the right attributes for a, a modern-day fullback. But then there was this thing in the back of my mind that was like, well, if he's that bloody good, 
And he was that bloody good in that particular game. And he has been in a couple of other uh, higher profile games in which I've since watched him. Why the hell did Middlesbrough loan him out? That was what I couldn't get my head around. I just, I just couldn't get my head around it. If you have a player of that calibre and you're Middlesbrough who are looking to get back into the Premier League, why on earth would you not sell the guy, but send him out on loan from which you get no real benefit and no real reward? It's weird. I, I couldn't work it out. I just I couldn't get my head around it. And when I spoke to a couple of uh, Middlesbrough fans, we've got a couple uh, who I work with quite closely. And I asked the opinion, their opinion on Jed Spence. And they said, what you saw against Arsenal in the FA Cup, that's not Jed Spence. You know, we, he wills out that level of performance every once in a blue moon. And he just happened to do it against Arsenal. But he also makes mistakes. It's also a bit of a calamity. Is that them just being a little bit sour at the fact that he's gone over to Nottingham Forest and played to this level? Because I've watched him four or five times now and I can't fault the guy. So I don't really know what to think about Jed Spence. But, you know, is is right back a position for Arsenal in which they need to be prioritising? I don't know. You know, I, I would have said to you a few weeks ago that, yeah, absolutely was, that I was shit scared at uh, the fact that, you know, we'd be left with Cedric at right back in Tommy Asu's absence. And then Cedric hit form and then Cedric came back to life and Cedric has taken that role on brilliantly. And I've, I've always said to you guys with Cedric that for me, he's somebody that needs to play regularly in order for him to be at his level. He isn't someone who can come in and out of the team without it disrupting his rhythm and flow. And, and I think you've seen that in the last few weeks. But are we getting kind of sucked into this full sense of security with Cedric that maybe isn't really there? If you're going to be a backup right back, by that very definition, you are going to have to come in and out of the team. You're not always going to get runs of games like Cedric is getting now. That's what backups are. They're people that come in and out. And so in that sense, I'm wondering if if we still do need to look elsewhere. I'd be looking at a striker first and foremost if I was Arsenal. My focus would be on a striker. And if William Saliba, as we discussed yesterday with Tom Canton, could potentially not return and could potentially end up at Marseille on a permanent deal, then we need a centre-back as well. Because outside of Ben White and Gabriel, we're not very well equipped. Rob Holding, fine, good player. Um, but we let Callum Chambers go. Pablo Marie's currently out on loan. I feel that Arsenal would need to go out and get a centre-back as well. So I think we kind of need to we need to see how the season ends, um, understand what's going to happen with some of the players we got out on loan, whether the club do feel that they have a future back at the club, whether they feel as individuals that they want to be part of the project and part of what we're doing moving forward and then assess our transfer plans accordingly. Um, but obviously the main target for me is a striker and I think that needs to be looked at first. Right back not against the idea of Arsenal going out and bringing in another right back. But if it's going to, if if spending a lot of money on a right back is going to damage our chances or, or kind of cause us a problem in trying to spend the money required or, or, or being able to put down the top dollars that are required to get a top striker, then I, I don't really want to see it done if that makes sense. So I think we need to be um, mindful of that. But just going back to that right back point again, quickly before I move on, because I'm kind of thinking out loud here. Yes, Cedric is okay when he comes in the team for a bit. And yes, you could argue that you should spend money on making your first team as strong as possible. And then you build the depth after that. And I agree with that. I touched on the, the centre-back thing. Maybe it's even more imperative that we get a right-back who can be 
of a higher level than Cedric overall and in general and with the potential. Because perhaps in Mikel Arteta's mind, he's the reason he let Callum Chambers go and the reason, you know, he isn't panicking about a centre-back is that he might feel that Tomiyasu is a solution there as well. Remember, Tomiyasu was playing as a centre-back before he came to Arsenal on the right side of the three. But for Japan, he plays in a two like Arsenal set up with. So maybe Mikel Arteta sees Tomiyasu as someone who can play at right back in certain games and could do a good job. Maybe when you need to be a bit more compact, a little bit more tight um, and a little bit more defensively sound, you play Tomiyasu uh, at the, in the right back position. But I think he'll look at Tomiyasu as someone who can come into the heart of the defence if required. But also, I think he'll maybe think about bringing in a right back who is a little bit more, what's the word? Influential a little bit more effective in the final third? Because I think if there's one thing about Tommy Asu that I'm I'm not totally convinced about is that when he gets into the final third is that he makes the right decisions. He's not an attacking fullback for me. He's a very good right back because he's a very good defender. And I know that we've then, as a result of that, tucked him over a little bit, pushed Tierney up on the other side, giving him a bit more freedom as a consequence. But I think that we can't be so predictable. So maybe, just maybe, Mikel will look at a right back ahead of a centre back because he'll feel that Tommy Asu can fill that void. I don't know, just thinking out loud. But there's a lot of interesting kind of stuff behind all this because it's, you know, you've got Tommy Asu, you've got Cedric at the club. That's that's two right backs. Cedric's on a on a contract. I, I don't really think that Mikel Arteta is urgently trying to get him out the door. I think if Cedric does leave, it will be because Cedric wants to go and play more regularly. I don't know. Um, but I just think that it's not as clear cut. Everybody says we need to bring in a backup right back. That's the first thing we've got to do. I wonder if a right back we do bring in could end up being not ahead of Tommy Asu, but would be someone that we feel is going to, or that Mikel Arteta will need to play in a lot of games and that Tommy Asu's role will then adapt. Is he the right back that Mikel Arteta has always wanted, Takiro Tommy Asu? I think he he is in some ways in that he tucks in and in that he goes in field a little bit. But is that how Mikel Arteta sees it in the long term? Or does he see him as a good right back option at the moment, but someone who's going to play that role in between of a centre back and a right back, depending on what our needs are and that we need to go and get a world class full back in as well? I don't know. I don't know. Interesting. And look, I don't want this to come across like I'm slagging off Tommy Asu because I'm not. Um, I just think that, you know, in terms of his profile, he's got a very specific profile and plays a very specific way. And I think we need a different option. And is Cedric good enough to be that option? I'm not sure. Um, gone off on a complete tangent there. But yeah, anyway, let's get back to the press review, which is what we are here to do. And let's switch our attention to the reaction to Italy's World Cup exit. Now, I was watching Italy last night um, against North Macedonia. And you, you looked at Italy's path, right? They were going to face Portugal in the next round. And I wasn't particularly confident that Italy were going to get through that. They've not, they've not been great of late. You know, they won the European Championships. And there's been like a bit of a hangover since then, it feels. Um, not scoring enough goals. Um, you know, their attacking options, I think, are not as good as people think. I think that's been an issue with this Italian side for a while. And particularly with Federico Chiesa out. I think that was um I think that was a, a serious 
blow to them. I think that was something that was always going to cause them problems. I mean, if you think about how influential and how good Chiesa was during the Euros, to be without him is, is going to affect any team, right? But you were watching that game last night against North Macedonia and Italy had some chances in the first half, some very, very good chances. And it was one of them games where you're watching it, you're watching it, you're watching it, you're watching it. And you just feel, you just get that vibe that it's not going to be Italy's night. And in the 92nd minute, the Macedonians pop up with a stunning strike uh, to win the game and knock Italy out. And, you know, the reaction, I expected it to be over the top. I expected it to be dramatic. When Italy missed out on the Russia World Cup, that was a big deal. This is Italy. As I said right at the top of the show, a country with an incredible, as Mourinho would say, football heritage. So for them not to be at the World Cup is a big deal. It is a big news story. And we're going to look in just a minute at how some of the big Italian papers have reacted to last night's events. But I did want to have a bit of a go at some of... Uh, of the England fans that I've seen reacting to this on Twitter and on social media since, of course, that full-time whistle went in Palermo. And the reason I want to have a go is because, look, and, and, and i got to say, i got to be honest, i got a confession to make. I nearly tweeted this last night. I, I must have written a tweet out on my phone about seven times and then deleted it and then wrote it again in a different way and then deleted it and then wrote it again. And then deleted it and then decided, actually, you know what, man, it's 10 p.m. Can I be bothered for this aggro? Do I want to be watching my phone pop off for the rest of the night? Or do I want to put it to one side and watch a film? So that's what I did in the end. And I'm glad I did because you just end up getting sucked into these things, right? But look, there's a tribalism in football and there's a rivalry in football that is is partly and, and a large part of what makes this game so special. And I get that there were some serious sour grapes uh, hanging around the place yesterday because the the amount of England fans that jumped onto social media after Italy got knocked out, as if to try and make out that Italy not being at the World Cup was like some kind of revenge for England having lost to them in the final. It was mad. Like, enjoy it if you like and have a little bit of a laugh at Italy's expenses. Lots and lots of people in the footballing world will be doing you know, in the, in the coming months and it will die down. And then it will, of course, resurface again when the World Cup comes along and Italy are not there. But like, all I'm trying to say is like people like, oh, I loved it. Italy out of the World Cup. And I saw so many sort of prevalent England fans doing that. Like, I'm delighted they're not going to the World Cup. Why? Like, why are you delighted? Like, it doesn't change the fact that they rolled up at Wembley and beat England in the Euro final and won the trophy on English soil. Like Italy not being at the next World Cup doesn't erase that event. It doesn't erase that memory. It doesn't erase that heartbreak. It's like when Barcelona beat Arsenal in the Champions League. Okay. I, you know, I didn't hate Barcelona forever because of it. You know, it's whatever, like it, it, they beat us. It's a final. What do you expect them to do? Not try and win it? They beat us. They won the trophy. And that's my heartbreak and my trauma, mental trauma to kind of deal with and live with. Um, but it just, yeah, it was just astounding to me, like how many people who are football people kind of took the opportunity to just throw mud at Italy Um and link it to England. Not, you want to throw mud at Italy, do it. You know, criticise them. They weren't good enough. They were beaten by a very unfancied side. Um, 
and and it's an embarrassment it's a national embarrassment from an italian perspective absolutely it is but to try and make it about england was just like oh, get over yourselves like you lost the euro final that's it you'll have to try and put that right some other time and but stop sort of making it about england it wasn't about england it isn't about england and it just irritated me a little bit um and uh and, and as i say I nearly tweeted it. I nearly replied to a number of tweets that I saw coming through as well um, saying, yeah, but it, it doesn't take away the fact that they won the Euros at Wembley, um, you know, and, and that is something that they've got a medal for and a trophy for. You don't have a trophy or a medal for Italy not being at the World Cup. So I just think people need to just chill out a little bit um, on that one. But yeah, controversial viewpoint, I know. Uh, and I know that I'm going to get a bit of shit for this, uh, but I just I just found it baffling, honestly. If anything, the fact that Italy haven't made the World Cup is probably more embarrassing for England. The fact that they got beaten on their own soil by this team who won the European Championships. That's more of the, more the way I would look at it anyway. Anyway, OK, um, let's have a look then at how some of the Italian papers have reacted to this, because as you can uh, imagine, it's not gone down well. In Italy, uh, and Italy is a, a big footballing nation. It is a nation where uh, football is is at the heart of the culture, and they are traditionally a very successful nation. So to not make the World Cup for the second time is pretty damn big. Um, Corriere dello Sport led with the um, with the headline "Al Inferno," which means into hell. Uh, Macedonia win in Palermo, Italy out of the World Cup again. Uh, they talk about a shock elimination and they quote Roberto Mancini, who said immense disappointment. Um, Roberto Mancini was uh, not really giving anything away about his future either. Uh, when he was asked about it, he said, we'll see. Uh, moving on to Tuto Sport, they just led with a pretty simple headline of no uh they say italy out of the world cup for the second consecutive edition north macedonia eliminate the champions uh of europe in palermo with a tricovsky goal at the 92nd minute uh, they also talk about that uh antonio rudiger report that we mentioned a little bit earlier on that juve are trying to agree terms with him apparently they've offered him a 10 million euro salary and a 30 million euro signing on bonus uh the other big one uh fuori uh, this one come uh, from another paper. They say um, it's the second time in a row for the Nazionale. Uh, they talk about um, that the uh, clubs uh, are calling uh, the national team as a an irritation, uh, which is interesting as well. And there's a picture there uh, of uh, Gianluigi Donnarumma and uh, Chiellini down on the ground. So as you can see, uh, the back pages as dramatic as we probably expected uh, <laughs> um, over in Italy. Let's see uh, what else uh, we've got. For, or let's see what we've got from you guys in the chat box. But before we do that, I just want to quickly remind you that if you haven't hit the like button, please do so. Join the 57 who've already hit the like button. Let's try and get it up to 100 by the time the live stream ends. It really, really does help. And if you could subscribe to the channel, it would be much appreciated. If you want to go one further and become a member of the Chronicles of Aguna channel, you can do so by clicking on the link in the description come and hop into our discord server where we have lots of fun and uh and of course we've got 
an episode of the members mailbag coming up as well. That is brewing. I'm going to drop it over the weekend, seeing as Arsenal are not in action um, because of the international break. So it's last call, really, uh, given it's Friday today. If you want to get your members mailbag questions into the relevant Discord group, please uh, do so. OK. Let's see uh, what we've got in the chat box. Sam Tonks, going back to the Italy thing, he says, I'm a quarter Italian H, so it's just been lose-lose for me all the time. Uh, <laughs> Nicomo, going back to my point on Barcelona, I still hate Barcelona, not just for that, but also just taking our players. Yeah, look, there was a, you know, it was for a while I was, you know, a little bit bitter towards Barcelona and I was particularly frustrated with them when they took a number of our really important players away and kind of turned their heads. But the point I'm trying to make is that if Barcelona lose a game like they did the Clasico the other night, uh, sorry, they won the Clasico. If they lose a game, an embarrassing game, um, you know, like they have done on a number of occasions this season, let's say, you don't get me tweeting and trying to make it about Arsenal because it's nothing to do with Arsenal. And that's the point I was making. Like, the amount of England fans who were trying to make Italy's exit about England. It was just, I, I couldn't get my head around it. You want to be happy that they're out. You want to laugh about it, laugh about it. But don't relate it back to England because it's got nothing to do with England whatsoever. Uh, what else have we got? Um, this is interesting because uh, GB says every Twitter feed this morning continues to be about Edu and the Brazil coach Tite being lined up as Arteta's replacement. Could it actually be a possibility that Arteta has refused a new deal? I don't think so. Um, I don't think so. I think he'll want to see this project out. I really, really do. Could it be that Mikel Arteta doesn't want to commit for four or five years? Maybe. Um, you know, he he's always had immense confidence in his ability as a coach. And I think now the kind of wider football world are starting to stand up and take notice of the good things that Mikel Arteta is doing at Arsenal Football Club. And I, understandably, he'll have ambitions, won't he, of going to the very, very top. It's still early for him, though. You know, he still hasn't got us into the Champions League yet. So I wouldn't be kind of going mad about it. Uh, I wouldn't be sort of, um, if I were a club looking for a manager, I, I wouldn't say that Mikel Arteta's 100% done enough to to warrant taking on one of the big jobs, a Real, a Barcelona, a Man City, even whatever. So, no, I'm not massively worried about this at the moment. I just think that, you know, as I've said before, I think that the contract stuff, I think it's pretty done. Um, I, I, pretty much done in the sense of I don't think there's much more work that needs to be done in order to get that deal over the line. I just feel like Arsenal are not in a position now, and understandably so, in the business end of the season to start talking about that and to start making that sort of thing public. I think they're right to do whatever they're doing, have the contract discussions, have the conversations behind the scenes, and then inform us all of an update uh, when the season is over. And, and look, imagine how much more receptive the Arsenal fan base would be as well to Mikel Arteta getting that new contract if Arsenal were to finish in the Champions League places. There's a bit of PR related in this as well. And um, and as all good clubs do, Arsenal are trying to manage that relationship with their fans. And they still know that until we do get in the Champions League, if we get in the Champions League, there are a lot of fans out there that are still on the fence about Mikel Arteta. So this is not the right time to be talking about it or to uh, be making it public. It's fine for us to talk about it, but nobody else. Uh, what else have we got? Um, some bloke says uh, Italy have a trophy in their cabinet. England don't even have a cabinet. Yep, that's true. Even Greece 
who celebrate Independence Day today. Happy Independence Day uh, to Greece. Um, 25th of March is their Independence Day. Uh, so uh, happy Independence Day to everyone celebrating. I know we've got a lot of Greek viewers and listeners. Um, even Greece have a trophy in their cabinet more recently than England. There you go. Uh, Afsar says, uh, Harry, Italy getting knocked out must be good news for England in the World Cup tournament. Yeah, well, it's another big nation with a history of doing um, doing good things in on the international stage who are now not going to be there. So, yeah, overall, uh, look, I'm not saying they shouldn't be happy about it. I'm saying, but it's just not related to England, is it? Um, it's just it's just not related in any way. Uh, let's take this question from Social DRG, who says, potentially our biggest window with ins and outs is this summer. Do you think Arteta will look to promote many of our kids? If so, who do you think will be in and around the first team? I don't think there'll be an awful lot of them coming directly up. Um, I've got to be honest. I think Charlie Patino is is the next one that's kind of knocking on the door, isn't he? We've um, we've seen him uh, make appearances on a couple of occasions. We've seen him in the squad. We've seen the young Swanson in the squad as well recently in Takahiro Tomiyasu's absence. So is he someone that is very close to moving in or is that just due to a lack of options? Maybe it'd be interesting to see, um, you know, if there's anybody else that Mikel sort of pushes up. But at this moment in time, the only ones I can really see knocking on the door are Patino, are Swanson. Um, it looks like uh, Balogun is going to have a much more prevalent role when he returns as well. Um, but yeah, I'm not sure. Listen, I've got to be honest, mate. Um, there are better people than me to go to if you want the download on the under 23s and the under 18s. Like I do keep an eye on them and I do keep across them as much as I possibly can. But if I said I watched every game or even the highlights to every game, I'd be lying. I read a lot. I try and, and keep across it and up to date with it as much as I can and as much as I need to for my job. But I know that there are people out there. I'll be the first to admit that there are people out there, just like with the women's team, that have a much greater knowledge of that side of things than I do. Um, going back to the Arteta talk, uh, Creambone says Arteta doesn't come over like a man that would leave a project and players at this stage, knowing he'll get the time and support to finish it. I agree with that as well. Um, I really do. Uh, Des Lynham. Uh, says, Harry, is it true that Arsenal are still play, paying part of Aubameyang's wages at Barcelona? It's my understanding that they are. Uh, they are paying part of his wages at Barcelona until the end of this season. And then Barcelona are going to take it all on. I think that was part of the deal. Um, from what I heard at the time, and I'm I'm trying to think back because it feels like a million sort of years ago now, but I think it was around about 100,000 a week that Arsenal were contributing to Aubameyang's wages at Barcelona. Now, I know that sounds crazy to think that Arsenal are forking out £100,000 a week for someone to go and score goals for another club. It sounds mad, but they've saved themselves a shit ton of money, whatever way you look at it. If he was on 300 a week, let's say, prior, then you've saved yourself a couple of hundred grand a week. And having to pay that until the end of the season, it's not ideal and it's not great. But um, if it means we then rid ourselves of another year of having to pay 300 plus thousand pounds a week, then I think it was something that they probably had to do. I don't like it. It makes me uncomfortable. And when you look at the club's really bad, um, you know, sort of financial sort of reports at the moment, it does make you wonder, like, you know, 
what we're doing in this sense. But I guess it had to be done in order to facilitate the deal. Uh, Sam Tog says, shout out to the pettiest club in the world, Spurs, for postponing the first ever women's North London derby at Emirates Stadium. Absolutely. Just before we came on air, uh, the news broke that that game has been postponed. I was actually looking forward to that. And I was actually uh, clearing space in my day um, to get down there and bring you guys some content from Emirates Stadium uh, around that game. So I'm a bit disappointed at that because now I probably have to spend time with the missus. Um, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, shout out to Spurs. And I wonder what Antonio Conte will think about that, uh, seeing as he's been very forthright in his views and opinions uh, on uh, on Arsenal's postponement of the North London derby at Spurs uh, a little bit earlier on this season. OK, uh, we are going to leave it there. That's uh, the end of today's edition of the Press Review. Remember, this is a show that I want to do uh, going forward. This is a bit of a pilot. Um, if you want the format tweaked, let me know in the comments after the show, not during the chat, because those ones will disappear. So let me know in the comments afterwards so that I can check it out see what you guys think. Uh, we will, as I say, highlight the Arsenal-related stories, but we will also have a brief look at uh, some of the other stories doing the rounds in the press and in the media uh, on a daily basis. Uh, it will normally drop at 10am, uh, but some of them will be pre-records just based on uh, what I have going on that day. Sometimes I'll be on the road for work. Sometimes I'll be at 90 min uh, down at the studio. Other times I'll be at TalkSport or whatever. So um, I'm not always going to be able to do it live, but I promise you we'll get them out uh, on a daily basis if indeed it is something that you guys want to see moving forward. Really appreciate lots of you joining us live. Uh, appreciate it. Uh, particularly given that, of course, uh, this is a different time of streaming to the normal time. So I know that that might have caught some people off guard. I do apologise for that. But thank you uh, for joining me. Let me know your thoughts in the comments below. Don't forget to hit the like button. Don't forget to subscribe to the channel if you're new. And I'll catch you all very, very soon. Until next time. Goodbye. You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening.